0: Good morning, and Thank you so much for joining us for Front Page this week. Morning, Belle. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks so much All for right. having me. Let's get to there our first go. news article. Now, former Prime Minister Datuk Seri Najib Tun Razak has redrawn his review application against the decision of the federal court to lift the stay on his SRC International Sundariyan Bahat trial. What does this even mean, Anne? Like, does this mean that he will have to start to serve his
1: sentence? The best way to explain this, Belle, is that before the substantive decision was made, uh, which was the recent trial decision, Mm -hmm. uh, there was an interlocutory decision made. And uh, there was an application for further review by Najib Razak at that time. So, since he's got a proper appeal right now, so it is only natural... For uh, Najib to withdraw his review bid on lifting of that stay on the SRC trial mm-hmm. and also on the matter, since the same can be further argued in his proper appeal. So does this mean that he will have to start his sentence? No. Oh. So now the sentence is stayed pending appeal at the Court of Appeal. I'd just like to explain that briefly like that so that it's not complicated. Uh But the most important reply to your answer would be no, he does not have to start his sentence because now the sentence is stayed pending his appeal at the Court of Appeal.
0: So after the Court of Appeals he can still go to the federal court to appeal another time. Yes, that's right. Okay, but That's this sorry. application was actually filed last year before the sentencing. Mm-hmm. So how how does it relate to
1: this the current sentencing? Okay, it relates in a sense that, I mean, there was an application that he made earlier. And that was uh, last year, mm-hmm. okay? So he could still use that. But since he's got already a proper appeal, he can just withdraw his review now. And we are looking at his appeal right now which is pending at the Court of Appeal. So oh. no sentence will start from now. He actually appealed at the federal court even before this whole case was meted Correct. out in court. Correct, oh. yes. Even before the substantive decision was made this year because there was an interlocutory decision made at that time which was last year and he made an application for further review. That was last year, oh. okay? So he's pulling back it's withdrawing in or order to make another appeal at the court of Appeal.
0: Okay, let's get to the next one, And This mm-hmm. man who was just released from jail, he was uh, yeah. brought back into prison because he mm-hmm. actually slammed his daughter on the floor. I mean, owing to the fact that he was just released from jail, what else yeah. should be enforced
1: to sort of help rehabilitate former prisoners? I like the word we have. I mean, as compared to jail time of course, you punishment for the crime is not as much a deterrent as it is. It was rehabilitation. Well yeah. so I think depending on the offences, I believe that there should be a window period where offenders are evaluated. I don't know I'm not sure whether this is done in any justice system in the world, but if it's done in the United States, that's called probation. But even then, we're not sure whether they are rehabilitated in the way that they are given anger management courses or counselling. Mm. But the word rehab itself makes a big difference than just jail, jail time. So this should be done in accordance to their state of mind or behaviour. I also think that probation works for the most part where the offender is actually kept in check of his movement and conduct. You know mm-hmm. you know that you're gonna go back in there in jail if you commit another crime or you you know commit another uh, bout of anger or violence or anything like that and uh, having said that, if it's anger management courses that we're talking about here. Uh, to prevent instances of violence from former prisoners, like in this case, that involves a range of skills, for example, that can help with recognizing the signs of anger and also handling triggers in a more positive way, you mm. know how anger is, right? Yeah. And how some people cannot perhaps, you know, manage that sort of uh, situation.
0: So, I mean, before the prisoner is released, from jail Mm, maybe mm, mm. there should be an evaluation done right Mm, before they're just released out into the world just because they've done their time
1: Yes, definitely. There should be an evaluation, you know, like even when you leave a company, for example, you know, you you resign from a company, there's there's an exit interview, you know, because you want to assess the situation, you want to evaluate whether you have been doing the right things, the proper training, that kind of thing. So I think it's not so much as just shoving someone into prison punishing them according to the time determined by the court. But also the fact that evaluation is very important and if there's a reason to rehabilitate further, then that should be done. And anger management courses, I think, uh, does very well. Therapy, that sort of thing. Because when anger is negatively uh, affecting sort of a relationship or if it's leading to violence Mm. or otherwise dangerous behaviour, a person may benefit from consulting a mental health professional and that is cost, you know. So that should be perhaps a certain amount allocated uh, for this and uh, anger management should be attended to by the authorities and that should be given serious thought by the authorities as well.
0: Now, let's move on to our next article. Malaysia is planning to ease border restrictions with Singapore this month, but is it too soon?
1: And what do you think? What should we be prepared for? I think for for the most time, it's difficult to say, um, I mean, whether I say it's too soon or... Whoever says it's too soon, because it all depends on the cases. But I know a lot of people are saying that it may be too soon to open up our borders. But my question is, when is a good time? Yeah. Right? Sooner or later, we will have to reopen if we want to stay afloat. That's really important. And the fact that both our economies are very much dependent on each other, when we open the borders, we should not only implement all the SOPs I think, you know, apart from maintaining the health and safety and carrying out all these procedures you know, you have like from um, I think when I interviewed the minister, it was like 13 SOPs Mm -hmm. but it is also to ensure that they must undergo a COVID-19 PCR test back in their home country before they come into Malaysia and then in Malaysia, they will be tested again. I know there's a lot of things to do but this is really Important, which is not done actually mm. uh, because there's a further step that needs to be done by the companies and uh, enforcement needs to enforce this but they will need to be tested again here in Malaysia upon arrival. But Anne, know? their, their ah, positive rate is 8.2% per 1,000 population, right? But ours is 0.91. Shouldn't we think about maybe when they get to like a much lower rate before we reopen the borders? Well, I believe that uh, those who are coming into Malaysia are not those cases. I mean, it's not for me to say I'm not the authority right. to say this, but this is just common sense because most of the cases, I mean, like, a uh, majority of the cases in Singapore, and um, I've just spoken to a Singaporean in fact recently, it is claimed that, and you and I know that these are all cases which are not uh, Singaporeans themselves, or foreign workers, right. yeah. happen in the dormitory and all mm. that. So these are the people... I believe, are not the ones who are going to come into Malaysia. The ones who are going to come into Malaysia are tourists, um, are people who want to you know, uh, have a holiday and they're going to spend here, shoppers, that kind right. of thing, and also people who want to come here and continue the business and investment that they've done in Malaysia. So I think it's a different set of people So uh, for us to be more cautious we need to also conduct this uh, COVID-19 test when they arrive here in Malaysia because that also will address the asymptomatic Mm. individuals. Yeah, Yeah, that is what I believe.
0: Alright, this next article is a very interesting one. It's about statelessness. In this case, this girl uh, has been asking for her citizenship. She's 37 years old, but she doesn't Mm. know who her biological parents are. So the lawyers actually brought up a good point. Like, If you were born in Malaysia, but you do not know the identity of both your biological parents... Can you automatically be granted
1: citizenship? That's quite an interesting point. And that's really important as well because the basis of our citizenship is on the fact that both our parents or either one of them are Malaysian. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you do not know the citizenship or either of your parents then it's quite difficult to ascertain whether you are in fact or could be granted citizenship and be a citizen of Malaysia. But having said that, looking at the federal constitution's second schedule, under section 1E of that schedule, every person born within Malaysia who is not born a citizen of any country Mm -hmm. is in fact a Malaysian citizen by operation of law.
0: Yes. Oh, so if you're yeah, born yeah. here and you don't know yeah. your your parents' citizenship, then you're automatically a
1: citizen. If you're not a citizen if, of any other country in the first place, right? Correct, right. Okay. You don't um. have multiple passports. Yes, yes. And Section 2, subsection 3, states clearly that a person is to be treated as having at birth any citizenship which he re- acquires within one year of their birth. So if you register between a year and you're born in Malaysia, then you automatically become a Malaysian citizen. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but beyond the year? mm, Beyond the year, okay, that is argumentative. And if you bring in that argument, uh, these two provisions would mean that anyone born in Malaysia, doesn't matter uh, when you register, but who do not become citizens of any other country, within one year of their birth, would be a citizen of Malaysia under the law. So that is argumentative. So, mm. Bell, you are right to argue that fact that if they do not register within a year of their birth, then it becomes very difficult. I see. Which True? is in
0: the case of this girl. Yeah.
1: Right? Okay. Exactly. exactly. Now,
0: but this exactly. has been a standing issue for a while now. What laws mm-hmm. do you think can be enacted to help statelessness?
1: In this country, mm. Do you know that this matter of Malaysians doesn't matter—is Malaysia or even West Malaysia—has gotten the attention of even the UNHCR because there are a lot of pitless children out there yes. by the hundreds of thousands. Can you imagine mm. that? So this is unimaginable, and the fact that our case has even you know gone to the UNHCR to be argued to be fought—that um, means a lot. But even then, and having said that, you know, uh, we have provisions in our country. There are provisions contained in Malaysia's citizenship laws, which we do not fully apply. Mm. And we do not fully study it, which could help, actually, to resolve the nationality status of individuals within our country. And that has not been exhausted yet. But addressing this issue, even at a policy level... It's already something that is required right now, and it's of yeah. most urgency. And this will be one of the ways to resolve citizenship and any sort of documentation problems faced by the communities in Malaysia as a whole.
0: Now, on our final article, Malaysian Bar President Salim Bashir urged the Perikatat National Government to urgently enact anti-hopping legislation to prevent elected lawmakers from switching parties. Now, and how would this anti-hopping
1: legislation help strengthen the government? Okay, because we have the view that the switching of political uh, allegiances after to be voted in by the Rakyat yeah, that is already considered a betrayal of trust, almost politically immoral. Mm. Now, when we talk about anti-hopping laws, this has for the longest time been very much required, and this is in order to enhance uh, political stability. I mean, that's a no-brainer. You need such laws in order to strengthen the government because you need political stability, you need confidence. It's all about confidence, public confidence in uh, this whole democracy, in this democratic process and respect for the decision that is made by you and me. It's as simple as that. That's made by the electorate. We Mm. need that sort of respect and we need to enhance uh, that political will to implement anti-hopping legislation, which is to, of course, strengthen public government and also to strengthen public confidence we are in a democratic nation i mean where the rule of law is held up high if we want to do that it is high time for us to enact laws that make the crossing the crossing and all this lompat kata and everything off the floor in the state assembly or federal parliament illegal we need to make Hopping here and the illegal bill.
0: What needs to be done, though, to
1: implement this legislature? I think for the longest time, and, you know, we've been talking about this, a lot of uh, scholars of, as well have been talking about this. A study is needed, you know. Since the anti-hopping law is against article, this is very important because we already have this article. And that's why everybody is so brave hop here and there anytime they want. Mm. You know, ever since I started covering politics in the 1990s, I remember the Sabah state legislation does not address this at all. And that is why Sabah politics has always been so fluid. There is no such thing as a mandate to begin with. Everybody is, um, I mean, voters in Sabah, for example, have been betrayed one too many times. Why? Because you have this article. You have this article called Article 10, Subsection 1, Subsection C of the Federal Constitution that allows freedom of association, which mm. could be restricted when it comes to security, public order, and principles of morals. You see, So it's yes. still very weak. So it allows for you to have that freedom of association. Hence, you can hop anywhere in order to be in any party. Okay? Mm. So, before a study is even done to enact any anti-hopping law, please address Article 10, Subsection 1, Subsection 3, which provides freedom of association to anyone, you and I as well.